With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Tennis.com podcast. Ed McGrogan catching up with Pete Bodo today. Um, Pete, I want to talk a little bit uh, about a man you know well and have written about quite a lot over your time, Mr. Roger Federer. You wrote about him um, earlier this week after his loss to Jeremy Shardy in Rome. This is Federer's first match back since um, Childs number three and four. Um, now, let's let's just start off kind of your thoughts on on maybe uh, viewing this match as its own. Uh, you know, was it maybe unlucky to Roger because of that really incredible match point get from Shardy, or you know, do you find it a little more concerning with Roger perhaps losing the plot a little bit after a pretty convincing six one first set? Well, let's put it this way. If Roger hadn't made that incredible get to ward off the match point, nobody would be talking about luck. They'd be talking about how spectacular Federer is. So, you know, I mean, I'll do credit to Shardy. He played a great match. Uh, you know, Federer is coming off paternity leave. And so, granted, it was a fairly short one. But um, I, I think that match, uh, the wind, I think, really favored Federer. If there's any mistake he made, it was, in, it was in not keeping his foot on the throat of Chardy, I think. I mean, Chardy came back and actually... You know, in the first set, he was abysmal, and all the things that you'd expect of someone playing in a b- stiff wind were going to haunt him. You know, the high toss on his serve, that's going to be tough in a wind. The big backswing he likes to take on his big weapon, the forehand, you know, that's going to hurt him. But, you know, surprisingly enough, so it looked like right off the bat, that first set, Federer won, it looked like, oh, yeah, well, uh, this is this, you know, the plot of this one is pretty easy to figure out. But, you know, it's kind of funny how people will fool you, and, and these factors that we like to talk about, like the wind and how it affects a guy with a certain style, at the end, they don't mean all that much if some other factors kick in. In this case, Federer's decline in Federer's game. Federer went from looking great, you know, to looking very, very rusty. You know, I was thinking a little bit about what Federer was saying coming into this tournament, really talking about, you know, priorities. And, of course, to this point, they, they certainly shifted, you know, so soon after um, last week in Madrid when he pulled out, of course, to be with Mirka. So... You know, I'm I'm thinking a little bit further ahead um, to the French Open for Roger, and I really wonder what you think about, you know, what kind of priority that means to him, you know, right here and now in this point. Because, yeah, he's actually only really played one match since Monte Carlo. I I really think it's kind of silly to suggest that maybe Roger Federer would want to play you know, in, in Nice or Dusseldorf the week before the French to get, you know, to get tune-up matches, basically. I really kind of wonder what you think Roger's kind of me- kind of mindset going into Roland Garros is, if it's kind of a, you know, it, it just it happens to be here and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a grand slam that he's probably not likely to win anyway. 
Well, you know, Roger, Roger has a, a way of turning horse poop into ice cream. You know, I mean, he basically, you know, when he talks about, you know, uh, other priorities, in a way, I think he's also giving himself some wiggle room, you know. It's just, you know, because there is a lot of pressure on Roger Federer. There's always going to be pressure on Federer to win when he steps on a tennis court because of what he's done. So I think that by his, and I don't, not that I dispute, you know, the fact that things have changed. He does have different priorities. It's not the same as it was 10 years ago. There's no question about that. But by having that, you know, he's, again, turned what could be a disadvantage, meaning a lack of ability to focus, meaning, a, you know, taking away from training time to spend with his wife and kids, whatever. You know, he's turned, he turns that into a positive. In his case, the positive is he can go in here, swing away, no pressure. You know, life is good. Just had two more kids. That's You know, he's got four kids for the price of two, basically, in terms <laughs> of the, you know, going through pregnancy and all that. So, you know, I mean, you know, he's, he's I think, in a very good position. I think the things that's really potentially going to hurt him is lack of match play. And that's something you just can't escape. And this is going back now to even before the second set of twins was on the way. You know, Federer had really talked about what he was going to do and he was going to skip this and skip that. And it all sounds really good on paper. But unless the, the fewer events you play, the more you've got to do great in those events. This week was a great example of that. Federer needed to have, you know, a couple matches this week, I think, really to get himself dialed in and fired up for the French, just kind of in the right mental state for, for Paris, you know, having played three or four matches, whatever. He loses. Now what's he going to do? Is a guy going to want to enter a Dusseldorf or a Nice? You know, I don't think so. You know, I think he's just going to sort of ride out the storm and – see what happens, play Paris, play for what it's worth, and see what happens, knowing that in the big picture he's got nothing to lose. Yeah, and I think the big picture for Roger, as as we've seen throughout his career, I mean, his best majors by far are Wimbledon, are the U.S. Open, you know, a five-time defending champion at one point in both of those events. You know, I think this is kind of the the typical time where we where you hear the – the, the the notes of, you know, if Roger Federer is going to win another major, it's going to come at one of those two events. You know, you know at this point, we've, I think, let the Stefan Edberg talk and the 98 square inch racket talk kind of, you know, it's died down a lot. We haven't heard him out about that. This is kind of who Roger um, is with these, these two new uh, pieces of his game, really. Um, yeah, do you have any kind of final thoughts on really how you see you know, his 2014 season in which he'll turn 33 in August, how you see it really turning out, you know, maybe outside of Davis Cup. I don't think that's a, a, a point to, to ignore. I think Davis Cup is, a, is turning out to be an even bigger priority for him than maybe we originally anticipated. Well, that's actually an interesting observation. It's very true, I think. And I think actually for Federer, if he's going to, I think in the back of his mind, he's got this Davis Cup thing going on that he knows that if, you know, if they can get that locked up, it's going to be terrific. I mean, as for the rest of the year, look, I mean, you know, the, the guy is playing with house money. There's no question about it. He's, I think at some level, he's, you know, he's treading water in terms of, you know, he just wants to, I think he just wants to stay in the mix as long as he can, as effectively as he can. I don't think he's going to be one. I don't think he's going to be want to be playing if he's losing, you know, second round matches regularly or third round matches even, or if he falls out of the top, out of the top eight, you know, out of the top sixteen, you know, uh, where where he has a really good seating. You know, I think that's going to make that would make his life tough. That is what's going to drive him out of the game, barring you know injury or unexpected burnout. The thing that's going to be tough for him is going to be losing early and not no longer being a factor. And right now, Federer is still a factor. I mean, you know, we see it every time, every tournament we see. It. We saw it in Monte Carlo against Djokovic. So, you know, right now he doesn't have a thing to worry about. He could actually, I mean, I have no doubt that it, if he gets a, goes a couple rounds in, in Paris, you know, he catches a win there. He's going to 
legs are going to be fresh. You know, he's going to be feeling pretty good. What, what with his personal life now all squared away with the children born and everything else. You know, he could go and do some real damage at the French Open. Can he win it? I doubt it. But can he do some damage? Absolutely. And if he is put in a position where he can win it, you never know. And we can't forget, too, you know, how poorly by his standards he did it at the at Wimbledon at the U.S. Open last year. You know, going snapping those long quarterfinal at major streaks by going out um, in the second round, I believe the fourth round. It's Stokowski and Robredo. I mean... You know, really anything in comparison to, to such a, a poor year, you know, is going to look great, I think, you know, in our view and in his view. So, yeah. Well, one other thing to keep in mind with this guy is that the guy's attitude is so good and that makes all the difference in the world. I mean, you remember when, when Pete Sampras is going through his rough spot before he won the U.S. Open. There's a point at a press conference in Long Island. He was going to – he literally had to restrain himself. He was going to jump up and grab some guy and punch him in the face. Some reporter who was asked him when he was going to retire for the you know for the 99th time in that week. So you know, but Roger, you know, there's there, there's no stress it seems in, in Federer here. Sure, I know he wants to win. He's going to be bummed out after losing to Charlie, no question about it. But you know, the fact is he's not stressed by this. The situation he's in, he's sort of just evaluating as he goes along, making the adjustments he needs to make to wherever he is, whatever he's doing. He's being very open-minded. He doesn't feel a conflict between you know the home life and the, and the traveling life. The guy has just his got a genius for keeping his love of the game burning and that at this stage in his career is tremendously important let's um let's talk a, a couple rivalries here i, I want to start with one that many many of us might not even consider a rivalry because the records are so lopsided towards one player um if you haven't guessed by now it is serena williams and maria sharapova um you know I think, you know, the matches seem so predictable. The, you know, the kind of the kind of suspense just doesn't seem to be there after after we we've seen the movie so many times. But, you know, considering what Sharapova has done fairly recently, you know, and I, I sort of sense that you, you know, perhaps feel something percolating, but, you know, between this, you know, the latest discussion between Serena and Maria. I mean, do you give any sort of you know, kind of what do you make of Maria's sort of latest push while we see Serena kind of, uh, you know, uh, dealing with some injury, of course, still clearly the, the number one. But, you know, kind of where do you play th place things at the moment? Well, I've been saying beating a drum for a couple months now, I think, or even even going back to last year at the French Open where I got the sense that, look, this girl doesn't give up, meaning Sharapova. This girl's not going to quit. What she's going to do is she's going to run Serena down from behind. She's going to catch Serena at some point. Look, Serena's not getting any younger. She's, I think, 32 years old where there are five, six years difference between the two of them. Maria's basically still at the peak of her game, certainly at the peak of her clay court game. Just won another tournament, still hasn't lost to anyone since 2011 on clay courts other than Serena. Serena. So, you know, you know, there's no question that Serena has absolutely dominated her. But the point is, Serena's getting older. She's going to be more injury prone. And there is a point inevitably, even, you know, we've seen with Roger Federer, he loses in the first round to Charlie in Rome. You know, I mean, at some point after you're the age of 30, at some point in the next three or four years or two or three, two to four years, things start to go a little bit south. You become a little less predictable. You can't keep doing it over and over. And I think Sharapova is in a perfect position. She's going to get back a little bit of credibility, which in some ways she does not deserve, because I think if Serena were sort of at the peak of her game, if she were 27, 28 years old and we're out there 
Sharapova against Sharapova. She just beat her like a drum over and over. You know, she's a she's a just a flat out better, greater player, and always will be. But she's gonna. She, she, it's inevitable that she catches her as long as Serena sticks around. So you know, what's what's Serena do? Quit the game so she doesn't so she doesn't lose the match to Sharapova? Heck no. You know, so uh, you know, it's you got you know, it's it's almost like you're gonna have to put an asterisk when Sharapova does get that win. And given how determined that woman is and how much she's fought, you know darn well that she will at some point get that win and she's going to make the most of it in public relations and media and, and her image. And she, yeah, she, Sharapova does have the, the French Open title too. So I think that it's not a thing. And, you know, along the lines perhaps of where you saw Federer getting his French title, you know, when Nadal, you know, was not at his peak that year, you know, you know Sharapova certainly took advantage and, and, you know, got her title there at, at that tournament to complete her g- career slam um, at a very opportune time. And I think that, you know, it's it's becoming now sort of routine where, where we're seeing, um, you know, one of these two really sort of run run through the clay court season. And, you know, we, we still have some, some time to go, of course, and some big matches to be played. But, yeah, you can't discount um, Sharapova just taking down two strong titles, and and you know Stuttgart is is ju- is pretty much just as strong of an event as Madrid and Rome is. So um, it's it's a pretty encouraging sign for people I think who have been ready to write her off based on kind of you know this rivalry, her serve, you know, kind of this this post surgery Sharapova. And I mean, I've been guilty of that you know as well at certain points, but it's it's. Certainly a credit to her where, you know, she's, if she goes down, she's not stayed down for very long. Yeah, but there is one caveat there I think that must be made, which is that Sharapova looks beatable in, in a tremendous number of matches. And that's, you know, that's something that really you got to sort of, you got to look at that and say, wow, you know, she's living, you know, she's living on the edge, no question about it. Now, granted, she's got a fantastic talent for surviving. She's got a fantastic talent for coming from behind. But I'll tell you what, I think her big problem in, Fran- in France, for instance, it's not going to be Serena Williams. It's going to be getting to Serena Williams. This is. Let's assume Serena goes, gets a free pass to the final. Everybody turns an ankle and, and defaults. Sharapova to get there. That's where things are going to be tough for her, I think, because she's had these matches. Even even that first set against Halep, and uh, you know, Lord knows, you know, the, the previous week in in, in uh, Stuttgart, you know, when at her last tournament, she was she was living on the edge in a bunch of matches. And you know, there's a point at which that catches up to you. Uh, Simona Halep, I think, has got a terrific game to potentially beat Sharapova. There are others out there. The upcoming, you know, Bouchard is actually in a bit of a slump, but she could possibly do it too, because Netsev has always been dangerous. She's played pretty well recently. So I think I think Sharapova has her work cut out getting to Serena. Um, and then, you know, whatever happens after that, who knows? Let's go on to the other main rivalry on the other side of the tours, Rafa and Djokovic. Now, I want to start with... With Rafa saying that, you know, I think at this point we, we, we could certainly say safely that, you know, that Rafa is entering the French Open, will enter the French Open, pretty much regardless of what happens in Rome this weekend, more vulnerable than ever. We have we have not seen this string of continued um, struggle on clay courts for him in, you know, ever. It, it, it's just, you know, I, uh, you know, I put together a piece ranking his clay court losses in terms of magnitude and the piece uh you know aged pretty quickly as it turned out i, I got uh, you know, just a couple couple days pretty much out of it <laughs> as you know to my dismay really but so you know this is this is certainly new territory for nadal and the question we're going to see 
it, you know, the most compelling question is kind of the one we've always noticed is that he kind of reset, you know, the tw- it, everything resets at Roland Garros for him. And, and that hasn't been disputed by, you know, except by one man, Robin Sordling. And the funny thing is, you know, Djokovic, you know, this is, you know, you would certainly say a huge opportunity for him, but, you know, he hasn't been in his best either this clay court season. And, uh, you know, in pretty much in big contrast to previous years where he was the clear number two to Nadal, or he was even better than Nadal back in 2011. Um, you know, French Open for these two, it's, you know, it, it seems like, the, you know, the latest sort of turn chapter in their rivalry, but, you know, where do you see, let's say, let's start with Rafa at the moment. Well, you know, I think, sure, Nadal is always going to want the French. And I think he understands how important the French Open is to his legacy. I mean, if he's going to, if he has any hope of catching Federer, and I'm sure he does, even though I, I, I doubt that he spends a lot of time worrying about it. But, if he's, but you know, you, you can't not think about that when you're within striking distance. And I think, you know, he's, he knows he's going to have to win another couple of French Open titles really to get a good shot. At beating Federer, realistically, so I mean that's going to be an incentive. You know, just his record of excellence here is going to be an incentive. That's the barometer by which he measures, you know, basically his season. I mean, uh, I'm sure that if he just won one major, one Grand Slam, say in Australia, and then did not win another, he would still consider a successful season because he won a major. That's basically the baseline for all these guys. But I think, really and realistically speaking, for him, the, you know, the, the one that really you know says, okay, I'm this this is me and I'm on my game, is that. French Open. But he's going into it this year. Clearly, you know, he's going to have a few more questions. You could, of course, look at it this way, that he's actually on the upswing again. You could He could look back and say, you know, I just came through a pretty tough little period. My forehand deserted me a little bit. People were talking. That was tough. The skies are looking good now. I'm heading into Roland Garros, having won Madrid, uh, you know, barring something, you know, something happening in Rome and him losing, you know, really early, he's going to be in pretty good shape going into Roland Garros. So he's got enough matches. He's got a little bit of extra rest, you know, unplanned extra rest. And so, you know, he should be in pretty good shape. You know, speaking of Roland Garros, we I just want to let everyone know we will have uh, quite a bit coming up next week during our, our lead into the tournament here. Uh, Pete will be on a couple of uh, nice pieces you'll see in the mornings on the site. Uh, you know, one I can preview is, you know, we're coming up on a pretty big anniversary. Uh, Michael Chang winning in 89 here. This is the 25th anniversary. Can I assume you were at that edition of the French Open? Or yes, I- sir. Yes, sir. I was. Yeah. So Pete will have quite a bit to say about that, uh, among other topics, too. Um, lots to talk about as we wind down the Masters run on clay and move into the Terba 2 at the French Open. So tune back in with us then throughout the week here at Tennis.com. Thanks to Peter Bodo. I'm Evan Brogan. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.